Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? All right. Super excited to be here. Um, I hope you all uh, enjoyed having a Cameron here last week. You know, Cameron's a, a good friend of mine, and um, but before we dive in, I know that I made an announcement video for him where I made some bold claims, and he rebutted some of those claims. But I will just say, everything he said about me was totally true. I stacked my team, and we kicked his team's behinds. It was, it was bad. It was a slaughterhouse. And which is really good because, as I've said before, I'm horrible at golf. I love to play, but I'm horrible. So when I was in charge of putting some teams together, I knew the guys at Creekside, and it was teams of four. I put three guys that I feel like these guys could go pro, and I was just the guy that was just playing behind them. Like, yep, that's a good ball. We'll play that. And then I put Cameron with three guys that I knew were at my level or worse. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, we came in, my team came in second place, and his came in dead last, and it was something that I will never let him forget, because Cameron is an avid golfer. Um, he actually posted, I think, last year, he got a hole-in-one, and I said, I've done that, too, in my mind every time before I swing the club. <laughs> Has never really happened yet, but, but I love Cameron, and he's right, there are contingency plans in, in place. We have, uh, you know, promised Aurora to be married to his son, Luke, as long as Luke doesn't mind being married to a slightly older woman. Um, but I think their contingency plan, and I think he touched on this last week, was the last time they came over and hung out, you know, Luke is age-wise in between my two girls, Aurora and Avery. And the last time they were hanging out, Luke and Avery walked off holding hands. I was like, wait a second. This guy's playing my kids. This could backfire, or he's a genius for keeping his options open, right? But he's, he's, got a, he's got a plan. And, um, but I, I love the fries. I'm glad, so glad that he was able to come here and share with you guys last week. And um, hopefully he'll, he'll be able to come share with us again in the future. Now, we're going to continue our series on the, the last week of the life of Jesus. And we've gone through quite a few things. I mean, a lot happens in one week, right? When we unpack just the final seven days of his life before Easter Sunday, or his crucifixion leading into Easter Sunday. And we only have a couple major events left that we'll talk about this week and next week before his resurrection. So uh, I'm going to pray for you guys. Um, while we're doing that, get ready. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 26 today. And uh, I'll pray for us, and then we'll recap the things that we've talked about so far. Uh, God, you are so good. I thank you so much for who you are, what you do, and that we get to learn so much about this last week of the life of Jesus. I pray that as we dive in today, God, you reveal things to us that maybe we didn't know before. You allow us to reflect and remember and, um, God, and, and make plans to, to look ahead as far as what you're doing in our lives. So, God, we thank you for who you are and for your just unwavering, unimaginable love. We thank you, love you, and everybody said... Amen. All right, so as you turn to Matthew 26, real quick, I'll talk about a few things that we've gone over leading up to this week. Uh, the first week we talked about walking with Jesus. What does it even mean when someone says, I'm going to walk with Jesus, or I have this walk with Jesus? And we talked about how it's an all-encompassing part of our lives. It's not something you, you do slightly. It's something that, that you've got to partner with God in, and, and you've got to let him lead the way and walk alongside him, because if you start doing your own thing, he's trying to take you a certain direction, right? So walking with God is really about giving your whole heart to him and letting him be the one that, that guides you in your steps. We talked about his triumphal entry um, on, on the donkey in Jerusalem and how the simple act of riding on a donkey fulfilled thousands of years of prophecy and thousands of years of scripture. And he was proclaiming that he was the righteous king, that he was the humble king, and how this amazing victory story of God also is this hum humble love story of God. And simply by riding on a donkey, he fulfilled so much that people were waiting for. Although the victory he was going to bring them was not the victory they were expecting. 
It was not a political victory. It was not this coming to war and throwing the Romans out victory. It was a much more important, deep victory. And then last week, Cameron spoke about the turning of the temples. Um, I was honestly sad that I didn't get to do this one because I wanted to come in be like, hey, good morning, church. Boom, and just flip something over. Be like, that's Jesus. But we talked about Jesus' anger. And in that moment, how this anger, where it came from, but it was a righteous anger. And, and, and when, when he saw what was happening in the temple, how Cameron related it to how Jesus clears space in our hearts. What are we going to give up to make room for Jesus? What's not right that we need Jesus to say, flip this table, get it out, take it away to make room for what he wants to do. And how right after Jesus flipped tables in this passage, he went right into healing the blind and showing the love that God has. It's an incredible story. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go online and listen to Cameron talk about it. Because I think he did an incredible job unpacking what this means for us today. Now, as we dive into today, I was thinking about, you know, you probably, um, you know, it's no spoiler alert. This is what we're going to be talking about today. It's on all your chairs, right? The Last Supper and Communion. But I was thinking about this. How many of us pick up and do things that we do without even realizing or knowing why we do them? A lot of us may have habits in our life or things that we do, and some would say, why do you do that? And your answer is, I don't know. I just, I just do. Um, someone asked me why I talk so fast all the time. Two things. One, I'm from California. Two, I, I don't have a number two. I don't know. I, it's just the way I am. I've always talked fast. It's one of the feedback. That's probably the, one of the biggest feedback things I get on a message on Sunday morning. It's like, Pastor, that was great, but I could not take notes fast enough because you talk too fast. And I said, write faster. <laughs> so I'm probably not going to be able to change it. I work on it, but it's something that I can't really change. But we do things a lot that we don't know where they came from. And today, even as we talk about communion, there are a lot of people that take it, and, and they may know the basic of it, like, oh, this is something that we do as Christians, as Christ followers. Yeah, we remember Jesus, but do you really know why we did it? Do we know why Jesus did it? Why this was such a big deal over 2,000 years ago that this was the last thing he did with his followers? There's a lot to unpack there. But as, as I think about things that don't make sense, I think of life being made up of so many oxymorons, right? There's so many oxymorons, two words that don't, they shouldn't go together, but they end up working when you put them together. And there's lots of common ones we have, contradictory statements like jumbo shrimp. Right, yeah, exactly, right? Jumbo shrimp. Or there's act naturally. You shouldn't have to act if you're going to be natural, right? Just do it. What about this one? Fresh frozen. See it in stores all the time. This is fresh frozen fish. I don't know what their definition of fresh is, right? How about this one? This was big for a long time. Kinko's original copy. It's not original if it's a copy. That is a small crowd. Or almost exactly. Right? We laugh because we see these. We may have even used these phrases. You know, they shouldn't go together, but when you think about the context, you can justify why each one of them does work, right? Well, when you go into Scripture... There's a lot of oxymorons. A lot of things that people say, there's no way these phrases should go together. I don't know why we do them, but when you unpack them, they make sense. For example, the Bible says, in order to get, you have to give. It'll say, if you want to live, you have to lay your life down. If you want to find your life, lose it. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. A lot of these things you look at, you go, this, this does not make sense. There, there's no reason these should go together. But when you unpack scripture and the meaning behind these things, 
they really start to have a deeper impact. I think the same thing can be said for communion. Sometimes things don't make sense. When we talk about, as we're going to really unpack what this means today, bread and, and in our case, grape juice. I didn't buy the wine, sorry. But the bread and the grape juice, a lot of people can say this doesn't make sense. This is not a body. This is not blood. How do you eat something and remember someone? It, it does not make sense. But when you unpack why Jesus said what he said, why he did what he did, this makes more sense than we can realize. This is a very powerful thing. I want to bring us back to this tradition. Um, now, some call this the Eucharist, which is a Greek word for a thanksgiving. Often we refer to it as a communion or the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. But we're going to focus on today, what does the body represent? What does the, the juice and the, the blood represent? What does it mean for us today? Jesus had a very specific reason that he talked to his, his followers why they were to do this, why they were to remember, but it wasn't just for them. It was for all time, for us to remember all the way through to today. So imagine Jesus now. He's had a short time ministry at this point. So he's, he's 33 years old at this point, having started his real ministry journey at 30. So he hasn't really been on the scene for a super long time, but word has got out for who he is, what he's doing, and he knows what is about to happen. He knows that this is the last couple days of his life. He knows what's just around the corner. Three years into ministry, what does he do at the end now? He surrounds himself with the 12 people closest to him. The 12 disciples, his 12 closest followers. And he says, all right, we're going to have a meal. I poured my life into you. I've trained you. I've equipped you into taking this message now throughout the world for generations to come. This is my last hours, so we get together to have a meal. And it makes me wonder, what would you do if you knew you were going to have a last gathering with somebody? Would it be a meal? Would it be a movie night? <laughs> would, it, would it be? It just, I know each of us have a, our own time. You can probably think, like, if this was the last time I knew I was going to be with somebody, what would I do? But I'm willing to bet it would be something really, really important. If you could say one thing to somebody, knowing this is the last moment I get to say something into your life, it would probably be something really, really big, really, really important. One of, uh, one of my favorite movies in the superhero lineup of movies, I loved Guardians of the Galaxy. I love Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'll tell you a little bit about why now, and then we're going to come back to it in a little bit. But there's a character named Star-Lord. And when the movie opens up, he's just a kid. And he's actually at his mom's deathbed. His mom is passing away, and she has these final words for him. And she gives him a letter. But in that moment, he's so overcome with emotion that he doesn't read the letter, and he doesn't fully listen to the final words. He runs away. Then he gets abducted by aliens, saves the universe. There's a whole lot of other stuff that happens. But we'll come back to that in a second because she had some final words that meant a lot to him. But if you had one chance to speak to somebody, what would your, what would your words be? Matthew 26, these are Jesus's, some of his final words in his last gathering, his last meal with his disciples. Knowing that this was the time, this is what he said. Matthew 26, 26 to 30. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> now this was more special than anybody knew at this time. Now, they were celebrating a Passover feast, which was something important for them, but this particular reason, Jesus, Jesus changed it. This wasn't just remembering something that happened in Egypt centuries ago. This was something that was happening now 
something they didn't quite understand. When he was saying, my body's going to be broken, my blood's going to be shed, they probably were just thinking, okay, Jesus, what's next? And they went to go pray. But everything was about to unfold in the next few hours, and it would blow the disciples' minds the way it played out. So what would you do in this moment? You might give people something to remember you by. You might say some special words, reminisce of a good time. But as he's preparing to die on the cross for the world, he looks at those and he does this incredibly special thing. But I love that he does it to help them understand. Even though they weren't going to get it till a bit later, he does something so significant that they get to look back at this moment and say, wow, this is what Jesus meant. This is what it meant for them then. And Jesus did it then to help them remember in the moment, but he also did it then to help us remember today. It was really something he did with the 12 disciples, but he gets to do it with all of us each and every time we participate in it. The Bible says he held up that bread, and he, the scripture says he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Now, he knew what that meant. Very literally, he knew what that meant because he was about to go through it. He knew in just a few hours he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He knew he was going to be stripped down. He knew he was going to be naked. He knew he was going to be whipped over and over. So badly, the scripture says, people looking at him, walking by when he's carrying the cross, eventually they were looking at him and they did not even recognize him. He knew his body was going to be broken. This meant something for him. Context for him was in the moment. Context for the disciples was going to come a little bit later. Then Jesus would have grabbed some of the wine. He poured it into a cup and in front of his closest friends, he held up that cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant Take and drink. It is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink, drink in remembrance of me. So the bread represents his body, right? And we have the, the juice representing his blood. But what does it mean for us today? Why do we call it communion? And, and there's a Greek word that um, some of us may know. I know this was the name of the campground I grew, grew up going to. Actually, I think the very first time I met Pastor Chris was when he was a speaker at this campground when I was in middle school. Your old Pastor Chris, I'm sorry. But the campground was called koinonia. And koinonia means participation or sharing. It very literally means communion, to come together, a common union to participate with. Communion is very literally, it's not just called communion because it's us together. It's communion because when we do this, we are communing with Jesus, participating with him in something. He said, I'm doing this for you, for all time, for all people. It's not just a remembrance thing in the moment then. It is remembrance for now for later because Jesus is, encompasses all those things. He doesn't live inside our confines of time. So he is with us when we do it. Through koinonia and communion, we have meaningful experiences, right? And when you have a meaningful experience with somebody, it creates a common bond. How many of you guys have ever uh, told a story like, oh, this happened to me, and someone else jumps in and says, oh, that happened to me? Instantly, there's a connection, right? Even if you don't know that person very well, you have common ground to start building your life on. Um, for me, or for maybe some of you, um, if you've ever been pulled over, pulled over, you can get a ticket or you can get a warning. A ticket or a warning. Now, I've been pulled over before. And one time I was pulling over, this was, uh, so I was taking the kids to school back in California. And I'm pulling onto this on-ramp. Now, getting onto the freeway in this particular section was two lanes merging into one merging onto the freeway. So you had one lane at a stoplight. And then there was the shoulder. And it was one of the the on-ramps that had the stoplight at the on-ramp. So we're always like, and it wasn't always there. I remember when they put it in there and it was pointless. Like this is just making it harder to get on the freeway. On this particular day, I'm running late. And always, I, I would see cars all the time, instead of waiting at the light, they kind of go over into the, the shoulder, get up to the light, because then a carpool section would eventually come. So you, you get onto the shoulder before the carpool section, 
and then ride the shoulder to the carpool section, then you're good to go. So I was running late. Got the kids in the back seat. I'm in the line, and I see one car do it. And I'm like, okay. Look around. I'm going to do it. As soon as I get over, a cop gets over. And I'm just like, oh, no. And the lights come on. I just continue pulling all the way over at that point. And my kids go, Daddy, Daddy, what are you doing? It's like, Daddy broke the law. <laughs> Daddy drove on the shoulder. Daddy's going to get a ticket. And they were like, really? I was like, yep. It's like, th th there's, there's not even a way to explain myself out of it. I clearly went on the shoulder to bypass the traffic. So I pull up, and I see the, you know, in my rearview mirror, I see the cop door opening. I'm getting my license and registration, everything out. He walks up to the door. I have my window down. He looks in. He goes, Pastor Dustin. <laughs> this could either be really good or really bad, right? <laughs> And so I look up at him, and his name was Steve, Steve Fajardin. He's, um, he went to Creekside. His wife volunteered in the children's ministry. Super nice family. So I look at him like, Steve, how are you today? <laughs> so good. And he looks at me and goes, you know what you did, right? It's <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yes, I know. He goes, he, he asked me, he goes, why'd you do it? why'd you do it? I said, no real excuse. I'm running late. Needed to get to school. There was a line. I, I did it. He goes, okay. You're not going to do it again, are you? <laughs> it's like, no, of course not. <clears throat> I can honestly say to that day, I never did it again after that. Because if he pulled me over again, I knew I was done for, right? So he, he didn't give me a ticket, nothing. He said, hey, don't do it again. See you on Sunday. He walked away, and of course, it helped. It absolutely helped that Avery, my daughter, was in the nursery at that point where his wife worked. So she was like, Mr. Steve. It's like, throw on the cuteness, kids. Keep it coming. Keep it coming, right? I didn't get a ticket. Got to go to church, uh, you know, that next Sunday. By that next Sunday, there were a handful of cops that went to the church. They all came up to me. They're like, so, Dustin, about that shoulder ride. It's like, yeah, I know. I know. I probably have my picture up at the police department. This pastor at Creekside Church. But I'll say, I didn't get a ticket. I got a warning. So thankful I got a warning. But as I've told that story to people before, sometimes they will say, I've also gotten a warning. And then there's a commonality between us and a, a fun laugh that we get to share. And then we start saying, did you do it again later? <laughs> you got a warning once. Did you do it again? Did you break the rules again? Sometimes they say yes, but they just haven't got caught again. But there's, it's fun to have commonality there. Maybe, um, maybe you're on the opposite end of that and you've never got a warning. You just get the ticket. Maybe you're a police officer in here and you don't give warnings. You just give tickets. But either way, there's a commonality with life experiences. Maybe you watched a movie that left a mark on you as a kid. I know that when I was a kid, I loved scary movies. Part of me still wants to watch them, but I don't watch them much anymore. I used to love scary movies. But how many of you guys maybe watched a movie like Psycho, and then all of a sudden, the next time you take a shower, you are freaked out? Or you watch the movie Jaws. You watch the movie Jaws, then, and then it's like, Three days later, we're going to the beach. You're like, oh boy, <laughs> we're going to the beach. Movies can leave a mark. You have a, a, an afraid, you have a, a experience that makes you scared that you can share with somebody maybe who had the same thing. It brings people together. This is, this is part of communion. Doing something that brings you together, that shares a bond. We all, we all have different kinds of life experiences and stories that can bring us together, that can unite us on some front. Sometimes they're not, they're not fun things, but they're still things that people can build a foundation off of. How many of you, if I ask, um, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you could say that you, you've lost someone close to you due to a, a horrible tragedy or a sickness, and then you find someone else and you get introduced to someone who has a similar experience, there's a bond. There's a bond that goes beyond someone just saying, yeah, we hung out, we're friends. There's something relatable that ties you together. There are lots of good things. 
there are lots of hard things. But today, we're going to talk about one of these good things. We're going to celebrate. We're going to participate in this koinonia, in this, in this communion with each other as a body of Christ and with Jesus. And as we do, know that when we do this today, it's not just us in this room. We're participating with people that have done this for thousands of years. We all get to come together and say, this is a bond we share. We remember Jesus. We participate with Jesus. We are a part of this walk, not just a one-time thing. It's described in Scripture in this way in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this. Paul was asked a question. He asked this question. He said, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, is it not a participation? There's Paul using it right there. There's, he's using this word koinonia in Scripture. He continues, and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? There it is again, koinonia, participating in the death and resurrection by faith in who Jesus is. Now, as we prepare our hearts today to take communion and, and receive this together, th there's a few things I want us to do and remember it, that we can do this. And I think the, Jesus did this for this reason. As for his disciples then and for us now, he gave us a few things that we get to do when we participate in communion and it encourages us to do these. One is we get to look within. We all get to look within before we do this. I think it's really easy in life, and I know I'm, I do this all the time. You, you can go somewhere and you can easily see what's happening in other people's lives. Social media has made it really easy, right? You get to see what's happening in people's lives. Or you go somewhere and um, you see someone in the store and you see maybe they don't know you're there, but you see them interacting with somebody. You, you become very aware of other people's actions or even other people's sin. Someone could come by and you can go, I know what that person does. I know what they're, and you have a very outward focus on people and things. But sometimes it's hard, and truthfully, it's, it's kind of you know, hard to admit that we don't always look out. We need to make sure we're looking within. We need to make sure we're saying, I'm not just worried and concerned about what everybody else is doing. I'm going to be concerned about what I'm doing. What's going on in my life? What, what, am, what am I doing right now? And sometimes, if we're really, really honest, we can do an inward examine on our lives and go, I'm actually not quite where I should be, right? There, there's something off that I need to work on. There's this great story of this 10-year-old little boy who went with his church to parents to participate in Communion Sunday. So this 10-year-old boy, he goes, and he's all excited, and he, everyone's walking up to, to receive communion. When he walks up there, the actual person that's there tells this little boy, says, I'm sorry, you're too young. So the little boy gets really upset. He goes back to his chair, and he's clearly upset, sitting there very frustrated. And then a little bit later in service, the offering plates start getting passed around. And when it comes to him, the, the usher comes, and he's sitting at the edge of the aisle. The usher wants to give him a plate, and the boy looks at him and says, nope. If I don't eat, I don't pay. Kind of a little bit of truth to that, right? If I don't eat, I don't pay. That's a bad spiritual attitude, right? And obviously, he was 10, didn't quite know what's going on. But, but honestly, how many of us allow bad spiritual attitudes to take place in our lives? Sometimes, you know, it, it really takes a deep examining to understand, wow, there's, there's something that I'm not okay with that I need to make okay, that I need to get right with God because there's, there's something inside that's just off, what happens, though, sometimes I think is we can get a bad spiritual attitude when we decide that we only want to be a part-time follower of Jesus and not a full-time follower of Jesus. And that can start setting priorities off or we start looking bitterly at other people instead of really looking and examining ourselves. I know that I don't want to be a part-time follower of Christ. Maybe you've done one of these things. Maybe you've gotten to a fight on the way to church. Getting ready in the morning. Nobody with kids ever experiences this, right? You're getting ready in the morning. You get in the car. You're going to church and... Things are just, the kids aren't getting ready, breakfast was burned, something happened, and it just made the trip to church miserable. 
But then you get into church and you put on this great fake attitude of everything's okay. But on the inside, you're not okay. There's a bad attitude following you here. Or maybe you've drifted from God somewhere along the way in your hearts due to a sin. And instead of embracing the full love of Jesus, you start returning only as needed. You say, you know what? I'm really okay. I'm dealing with this. I'll just go to church when I have time. And it turns into a a part-time, I'll go when I need him, not when I think I have it on my own. But there's really something inside that you got to handle. Or maybe you've been involved in complaining and grumbling and gossiping and not realizing that, that words are really speaking damage and that really is turning into an outward thing. You're so focused outward, you're forgetting how much your outward words are damaging someone else on the inside. And there's an inside spirit that you need to work on that talks about humility and love. It can be easy to fill the habit of only remembering when it's convenient, only being a part-time follower. I remember when, when I got my call to be a, a lead pastor, when God put it on my heart and said, Dustin, you're going to be a lead pastor, I remember thinking, what? I was in children's ministry for life, God. We had a deal. I promised my wife that I was only going to be a children's pastor for the rest of my life. Now I have to tell her that I lied. <clears throat> but God telling me, Dustin, I want you to be a full-time pastor With that call came a full-time participant in the walk of the life of Jesus, a full-time Christ follower. And I think sometimes in my my life, I know I can pinpoint times where I may have been working full-time, but I was only living part-time because so much of my life got busy that it turned into a, yes, I can do this on Sundays and I can just kind of do my own thing on other days. But being a full-time follower of Jesus means that we're not just a full-time business person and a part-time Christ follower, or we're not a a full-time student and a part-time Christ follower. We're not a full-time mom or full-time dad and a part-time Christ follower. Maybe our hearts get to a point where they're distant, and we need to remember we can be all of those full-time things and remember to be a full-time Christ follower. So examine yourself today as we get ready to take communion. What part of your life, what, the question, what do you see when you look within? What do you see when you look within? Guarantee you we all have stuff we can work on. But what do you see? What do you need to make right with God? And I think our response to this is really going to help how we answer and participate in today's communion. When you examine yourself, maybe you'll see a need to repent. Maybe you'll say, I I see my sin. I see something that I've really messed up on. I see something I need to, to confess to God, something I need to confess to somebody and say, hey, I've done this. Can you partner with me? Can you help me here? A need to turn away from what you've done. Maybe you'll examine yourself and you'll see a chance to rejoice. Maybe you'll you'll see the sense of the fact that God has done something really good in your life and you get to say, God, I'm going to remember you today and I'm going to rejoice in this because I've seen what you're doing in my life and this is an exciting time. Participating with Jesus today may be an incredible act of worship where you just can't contain it. You've got to share it with those around you. Maybe you'll examine yourself today and you'll see a need for refilling. Maybe you'll look and say, man, I'm at a low point. Life is hard. I'm going through this. I've lost someone. I've lost a friend. I've lost a a family member. I'm hurting and today when I remember, this is a chance for God to refill my life. A chance for him to rebuild in me something that only he can rebuild. I know that um, I've shared, you know, personally, we've gone through a loss. And I, I've shared that this season of life has been really, really hard for, for me and my family. But I love, I love that when I take communion, when I sit down, I say, God, Jesus, I'm going to remember you and what you've done. He says, hey, and remember that I can fill you in all these times. I am more than enough for you in all of these times. And it's an amazing thing that we get to do this with him whenever we do it. The Lord's Supper encourages us also to look back. When we take communion, we get a chance to look back. A good example of this would be, let's say you come over to my house 
and we've got different pictures on the wall, or you see a license plate on my shelf that says Mongo. And yes, that was my license plate for a while. For you guys, when, when you, look, you look back and you say, Dustin, what does that even mean? It would mean nothing to you, right? But when I look at that license plate, I see a fun nickname that my dad gave me when I was a kid. I see what my college roommates called me. I see what my gamer buddies, when I was gaming a lot, what my tagline was when I was playing games with people. I, I see this nickname, and I put that on my car because it was a lot of fun for me. There's context. When I look back at that, I see something so important and fun for me. But other people look back at that, and they go, that's a really weird nickname. Mongo. But if I explain to you how I got that nickname, if I explain to you why it meant so much to me, then you get to look back at that with me, and when you see that, you go, oh, that means something so important to Pastor Dustin. This, this makes him remember this part of his life that was really, really fun. Context brings out so much together when we look back. We can remember things together. There's meaning to it. When you see it, when you know the story behind it, context brings out deep meaning. Context brings out deep meaning. Now, going back to the, the story of Guardians of the Galaxy and Star-Lord, his mom, before she died, gave him a letter. And in the moment, he didn't read the letter. He ran out, and then it got abducted by the aliens and everything, and the adventure began. But at the very end of the movie, and this isn't a spoiler, the movie's been out for 10 years, so if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. But at the end of the movie, well, throughout the movie, he calls himself Star-Lord. And people, when they see him, he's like, you know me, Star-Lord. And they're like, who? And it's part of a thing for him, like, oh, come on, I'm Star-Lord. At the end of the movie, he finally, we're finally privy to the letter that he reads. And he reads this letter, and his mom talks to him about aiming for the stars, never giving up. She says, I love you, my little Star-Lord. And so now, let's kind of get the chills thinking about it. It's a powerful moment in the movie where you realize what everyone thought was a goofy, self-arrogant, self-titled name for this character, his name was a memory of his mom. And then now, when we watch the movie now, or we see the sequels and stuff, you get to look back, and that's part of his story. You look at him, you're like, I can connect with him because now I know his character, I know his story, I know why he is who he is. We get to look back at the whole context. When we take the, the communion, when we take the Lord's Supper, the, we get to look back at so much context. Look back at what Jesus did, and remember, we are a part of an incredible love an incredible story that is so much more than just eating a piece of bread and drinking a drink of juice. When Jesus was celebrating the Lord's Supper with his disciples, chances are this was very much like the Jewish Passover meal. You know, at one point God said he was so tired of his people being enslaved and beaten in Egypt that he freed them from captivity. And there was this long story, and if you read the book of Exodus, you see everything that Moses went through and the ten plagues of Egypt to get them out. And it's a phenomenal, amazing historical account of what happened in Egypt. But one of the things God did, the last plague, he said, I'm going to strike down the, first, the, the firstborn son in every household. But because God is loving and merciful, he told his people, he said, this, there's a way out of it. There's a way to keep your family safe. What I want you to do is you take a lamb, innocent, faultless, without blemish, and you're going to kill it, and you're going to spill its blood. When you take its blood, you're going to put it on your doorframe. You're going to put it across the top, and you're going to put it down the sides, quite literally what the figure of a cross would be. Jesus was foreshadowing in the Old Testament what was happening, going to happen in the New Testament. We get to look back. Jesus got this moment to look back at his disciples and say, hey, guys, you remember why we're celebrating this? Look back at the context. People were enslaved, and then they were freed. Guess what's about to happen this week? His blood is going to be shed. He's going to die. His blood is quite literally going to be on that cross and free us from the slavery and burden of sin. 
It was an amazing foreshadowing of what we're going to do. And I love that Jesus got to do something with them to look back at why it was going to be so important. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, um, it says this. When your children ask you, what does this ritual mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people bowed down in worship. And when, when our children ask, what does this ceremony mean? What does it mean? We, we get to tell them, hey, let's look back at history. Let's look back in scripture and see why this is so important all the way to today. We get to see how the Israelites in, were spared in Egypt. And we get to see how we are spared today, how we are loved today. Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the question as we look back, what God memory is most special for you? When you look back at your walk with God, when you take communion today, take a moment to think about that. What moment in my life did I say this was my most special moment that I had with God? And let's remember that together today. For some of you guys, you can say, easy, the moment I accepted him. That is my number one memory with God. For someone else, you could say, man, I prayed for a miracle and I saw that miracle happen. For me, that is my most amazing, my most favorite memory with God. Maybe you can look back and say a favorite memory when God was just with me. You got God say, I just I was going through this time and I look back and I felt his presence and I knew he was there and that is the most amazing memory I have of my walk with God. Or maybe today some of you would say, I don't have that memory yet. I just, I, I just don't have one yet because maybe you haven't given your life to him or maybe you're still on the fence about this whole thing. But I want to give you that opportunity today to today could be the great day to make that first memory. To say, this is the day that I'm giving my life to God. This is the day that I'm saying I am all in, not part-time here or full-time there. I am full-time always with you, Jesus. And it could be the greatest memory you have right now. The Lord's Supper teaches us to look within, to look back, and it also teaches us to look ahead. We get to look forward every time we take this. In 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul says that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we do it, we proclaim his death until he comes. We get to look ahead for the returning of Jesus. This isn't just to look back at what he's done. This is also to look ahead at what he is going to do. Jesus is telling his disciples then, he's told them so many times what was going to happen, and they're still not getting it. And we have the privilege now of looking back and seeing the whole story, but knowing that when we do this, Jesus said he's going to come back. And so when we take this, it's not just a thank you, God, for what you've done. It's a thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you that we are with you all the way and you are coming back to be with us. It's not a one and done deal. It's something that we do multiple times. If you've been involved in church for a long time, you could probably say, I've taken communion countless times, so many times. But every time you do it, we're proclaiming that Jesus is alive. Jesus is coming back. His story is not over and we are a part of his ongoing story. We are not just observers. We are participants in an amazing love story. So my question for you here again with communion on this would be, what are you looking forward to with God? What are you looking forward to? Going back to maybe losing someone in your family, you know they're not here anymore, but they're, they're in heaven today. Maybe you're looking forward to that day where you say, you know what, there's gonna be a day where I get to be with them. I get to be with them, I get to rejoice. God has made that possible. That's an amazing thing to anticipate. I've got a lot of family that I know that, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be so happy to see them. It's going to be a wonderful day. For others, maybe you've been praying about something for a long time, or maybe for someone who doesn't know God. Your prayers are, are geared towards this person wanting to have this relationship with God. 
and you get to pray for it, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you just know that one day God is going to answer that prayer, and you get to look forward to having communion and fellowship with that newfound believer and follower in Jesus. Maybe your body hurts. Maybe your body's not well, and you know that one day in heaven you're going to get that new body, and everything's going to work perfect, and you're looking forward to the goodness of God as he restores you to be everything you were meant to be. I know some people, it's an older tradition, but some people will hold this cup up and when they take communion, um, I've heard people say, next time with Christ. I don't know if any of you ever heard that phrase before. People have taken it and then when they're done, they, they literally will audibly say, next time with Christ. And what they're saying is that they know the next time that Jesus takes this, scripture says, he's taking it with us. He's going to be there with us. Matthew 26, 29, Jesus said that. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So today when we share the body and the blood of Jesus, we can say that. We can say, next time with Christ. Man, the next time Jesus takes us with us, we get to be with him. He's gonna take it with us in the new kingdom. I love that, that everything Jesus did as we've talked about his last week of life, everything was with purpose, Everything had a reason, everything had a place, and this one, this particular last meal with his disciples was something that he gets to say, hey guys, look within yourself, look within your heart, what, what do you need to make right? Look back at the context, look back at why we're doing it, and look ahead to what's going to happen in the future. When we do these things, we get to commune with each other, we get to commune with Jesus, and we get to share in what's in, an incredible last meal he had with his disciples but we get to do it with him each and every time we participate. I'd like to invite the, the worship team up. And as, uh, as they come up, I'd like to invite you guys to, to stand with me and have everyone uh, take your communion cups. And the worship team is going to be playing behind us a little bit. And um, I want to read uh, the, the Last Supper to you from another passage. We'll read it from Luke. And then as I read, I'll kind of walk us through taking this together. But before I take it, as they're coming up, I just want to give you all a moment just to, to do those three things privately. Take a moment just to, to look within your heart for a minute. Just say, all right, God, what's, what's inside right now? What's something I need to work on? Is, is there an attitude that needs, to, that needs to be given up? Is, is, is there a sin that needs to get, get confessed? Is there something, and like I said, I say this all the time, when you confess a sin to God, he's not caught off guard. He knows. The confessing is for us. The confessing is for us to get that weight off our shoulders and say, God, I know you know. Let's talk about it. He's there for you. He wants you to confess it. Look within. If there's, a, if there's someone you're not right with, maybe even in this room, go get right with them today. What's in your heart? What is potentially being a blockade for you communing with Jesus? Look back. Look back at what Jesus has done in your life. Look back at some things you've gone through. See, see his presence in your life through the good times, through the hard times. Celebrate with him. Know that when you're broken, he's broken with you. Know that when you're rejoicing, he's rejoicing with you. But take this moment to look back and say, God, I see you in these times. I see you in my life. I see you and I feel you and I know that you're here with me then and you're here with me now. And take a time to look ahead. Look ahead. What is Jesus going to do? What are you believing in? What are you praying for? What are you celebrating that you know Jesus will do in your life? So just take a moment on your own and just, just have a moment with God and, and pray over these things and think about those three things. If you're watching us online right now, I encourage you to go grab a slice of bread and a cup of water, a cookie and a Coke, just something <laughs> to, to have communion with us. It's not so much about exactly what you're eating and drinking. It's about what we're going to do together and the symbol of what we're doing together.
I want to read uh, Luke 22, 14 to 18 through you guys. It says this. When the hour came, Jesus' apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks. Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Luke twenty two nineteen. I want to invite you now to, to take out the, the top layer and take the wafer out. And I'll read this. Luke twenty two nineteen. he says, And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. God, I, I thank you that, that when, as we do this today, you are here. You are in this room with us, God. We are having koinonia with you, this, this participation, this, God, we are with you and you are with us. I thank you for the sacrifice you gave, God, the, the body you willingly get broken for us. As we look back at this, God, I know that, that it, was not the, it was not an easy thing for you to do. God, I thank you that you did it. I thank you that you love us so much that you went through your body being just totally broken down for us. And we remember the sacrifice you made, but ultimately we remember the act of love that you gave for us. We love you, Jesus. Invite you now to go ahead and eat the wafer. In Luke 22, 20, he says this. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Know that when we, when we drink this blood or this juice, just remember, this is an amazing symbol of the ultimate love of Jesus. The, the blood that no other blood could do, right? He was that perfect lamb. The one that was foreshadowed in Exodus when they took that lamb without a blemish and said, this is to keep us safe from death. Jesus is that perfect lamb. Jesus' blood took our sins and he, we get to wear that. We get to put that on the cross and say, this makes me clean for God. Our sins are gone. They're washed away. They're gone forever because of what he has done. Let me pray for us and we'll take this together. God, I, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God, I, I thank you that your blood, your perfect blood was shed so that, that we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. God, you did that for us. I thank you that we get to remember what you've done and we get to look ahead and celebrate what you're going to do, God. The fact that you're coming again. Your death was not the end of the story. It was the beginning of the next chapter. I thank you that we participate with this and that you love us so much that you gave the amazing gift for us. We thank you, we love you, amen. I wanna invite you all now to, to drink. <clears throat> remember, what, what we've just done together so much more than just a meal, so much more than just a snack, as my kids would call it. It's just a snack. This was communion. This is koinonia. This is fellowship. This is the life of the body of Jesus. Today when we leave, connect with people, uh, celebrate with each other, share in the love that God's done for you, and know that this is just, the, this is just one part of this story of Easter Sunday. I love that next week we get to talk about um, the ultimate sacrifice Jesus made. And how that leads into the ultimate victory Jesus ever had for us. Amen? God, I thank you for today. I thank you that we got to do this together. I thank you for your sacrifice, for your love. God, for the tradition that you've allowed us to participate in with you. God, I pray that as we leave here today, we don't just say, I'm a part-time follower. 
I'm a part-time person that did something cool at church today. We say, no, I am all in all the time, God. We take this out. We share with you. We invite people to be a part of your story. And God, that you work in hearts like you never have before. We see a revolution in this place of people that are coming to love and want to be a part of your story, God. I pray that you allow us to be bold. You allow us to step out in faith, remembering what you've done, knowing what you're going to do. And that fuels us for our encounters as we show your love to your people. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. Amen.